We are going to be in Genesis chapter 39 and 40 today. We're just going to read all of chapter 39, and then I will walk us through chapter 40 as we get towards the end of the sermon. Chapter 39, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a hardback black Bible in the row or in the seat in front of you. Feel free to take that Bible, use it, keep it. It is our gift to you. Genesis chapter 39. The words will also be on the screen for you. I'll be reading from the ESV, English Standard Version, and that's what's going to be on the screen. Let's read God's Word together. This is what it says. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was, a, uh, was handsome in form and appearance, and after time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her, of her household and said to them, See, he, he being Potiphar, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then, then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Let's pray together. 
Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we had to come together as a family and to study, to continue to worship you through your word. Father, I pray that as we study together, that as we exalt your son Jesus in this place, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to move. Stir our hearts, God. Stir our affections for you. Help us to see the beauty of who Jesus is and what you have done for us through Jesus. God, and that we might see ourselves for who we are in light of that. We would see our need. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are nearing the end of our series here in Genesis. We've been in Genesis since January, and we are nearing the end. And hopefully throughout this series, we have learned uh, that God is faithful. Amen? We've seen that God is faithful time after time after time, even when we are not faithful. Praise the Lord. We have seen that, that God is is patient with us. We, we have seen that God is sovereign, that he is in control. Uh, we have seen that no matter how stupid, how stupid, the stupid choices, the stupid decisions that, 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 that people make throughout Genesis, that, that God is never caught off guard. Right, right? God never looks down and is like, oh man, that, that caught me off guard. I, I wasn't expecting that. And what's amazing is, is that God takes these broken people, broken people like you and I who have been broken by sin. He takes our brokenness and he uses it to accomplish his purposes of redemption. And it's just, it's just amazing, man. We serve an awesome God. I hope, I hope that we have seen that throughout this series. And... And for the rest of the Genesis narrative, our focus is going to be on Joseph. And today, specifically, we are going to see how God is sovereign in Joseph's suffering. Joseph's suffering. And let's be honest, man. Nobody likes to suffer. This is not a very popular subject. It would be... Very nice if we had an easy button that whenever life started to go south for us, we could just hit that easy button and things go back to the way they were, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. Even little annoyances and little inconveniences can be a pain sometimes. For instance, nobody likes to be on their way to work or on their way to an appointment that you are already late for, and then you find yourself stuck in traffic. Right? Nobody likes that. Nobody drives up on traffic that is stopped on I-95 and says, yes, I love this. Right? Now, nobody does that. It, it is an inconvenience. It is an annoyance. It is a pain. And then how about Chick-fil-A? Come on, Chick-fil-A. Right? Ch Chester... Chick-fil-A is closed down for six weeks. That is an inconvenience. <laughs> Can I get an amen? I, 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 I've got to drive 10 miles to get my Saturday night strawberry milkshake now. You know what I mean? It's like, come on, Chick-fil-A. Every time I drive by, I'm just like shaking my head. And yet suffering is the one thing that every single person whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, 
has in common. There is nothing more certain in life than pain and suffering. And many, if not all of us, have walked or are currently walking through difficult times in our lives. And so my prayer is, is that as we walk through this passage here in Genesis 39 and 40, that we will see that even in our suffering, God is sovereign. That, that you can find rest and comfort in knowing that whatever it is that you are going through, whatever your circumstances, that God is with us and that He is in complete control. That, that regardless of how you feel in the moment, God is there. And, and finally, I hope that through Joseph's suffering, you will see that Joseph's suffering is actually pointing us forward to a greater righteous sufferer, to a greater suffering servant, who is Jesus. So chapter 39 begins with this statement. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. Let me ask you a question. Do you think... Joseph was brought down to Egypt by chance. No. You guys are very, very good this morning. For us as readers, right, we have the, the privilege of, of reading ahead and seeing the, the whole picture of Genesis that Joseph is in Egypt for a purpose. Now, here's the thing. Joseph does not know that, right? All, all he knows is, is that his brothers in chapter 37 uh, despise him and, and dislike him, and they try to kill him. They throw him in a pit, rip his beautiful multicolored coat off of him, and, and then they decide, hey, wait a minute, let's make some money off of him. And so they sell him to the Ishmaelites into slavery. But, but see, God is sovereignly working in Joseph's life throughout this whole passage and we are able to see it because listen one of the major themes and we've talked about this throughout this Genesis series one of the major themes is this theme of offspring this theme of of the line that leads to Jesus seed because way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God makes this ginormous promise. It is the very first gospel message that we see right there in Genesis chapter 3. God tells the woman, it says, From your seed, from your offspring, one will come that will crush the head of Satan. That is the first gospel message. And so for the rest of Genesis the focus has been on where is the line going? Who is it going through? And we learned that, that it's going through Abraham and his family. And then last week we saw how the line is going to come through Judah. Right? That, that was a mess last week if you were here. And so, yes, the line is going to come through Judah. And so what God is doing through Joseph in his suffering is he is preparing him. He is moving him into a place, into a position, so that Joseph will then be able to preserve the line of Jesus. It is amazing to see how God is working through all of this. But see, Joseph doesn't know any of that. All Joseph knows in this moment is that he is in exile. He is away 
from his home in Canaan. Uh, And it tells us that Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, bought Joseph. In other words, Potiphar owns Joseph. Right, so not only did his brothers sell him into slavery, he is in exile away from home, but now he is in Potiphar's hands. But I want you to notice verse 2. I mean, you see it throughout this whole passage, but verse 2 it says, The Lord was with him, and he became successful man. He became successful not because of anything Joseph had done. He had become successful because the Lord was with Joseph. His presence was with Joseph the whole time. Everything Joseph touched turned to gold. And Potiphar took notice. Potiphar says something's different about this this guy. And I want to point out something here. Again, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12 where we've been, you see the Abrahamic covenant that God made to Abraham being played out right here in this passage because God made a promise to Abraham and he says, I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And so right here you see Potiphar takes notice and Potiphar shows kindness to Joseph. And you see God is blessing Potiphar as well. You see it. Notice the the all-inclusive language in these first six verses. Verse 4 says, Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. Verse 5, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Verse 6, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Right, I mean, if you are living in Egypt and you are a witness to this, you are like, hey man, can Joseph come live with me and my family for a little bit? This is how God is working in his life. And so we see that even in uh, the midst of this trial that Joseph is going through, even though he is separated from his family, even though he is in exile, God's presence is with him. And I just simply want to encourage you with this because I think that one of the traps that we fall into that that Satan kind of uses against us, that kind of gets our mind going is that we tend to think of God's presence, we can tend to think God's love for us is based on how well life is going for us. We think, man, if, if everything is going smooth in our life, then God must love me. He must be happy with the way that I'm living. I got a new job, got that promotion got that new car, whatever it is, God must be happy. He loves me. And often we base God's presence and love on material or physical blessings. And I I want to just caution us this morning in doing that. Because if we think about Jesus and his life, Jesus lived, he, he was homeless, and he was later persecuted and crucified on a cross, and yet he was the Son of God. And listen to me, it's very important for us to understand that while God's blessings in our life can be physical, they can't be monetarily, they can be. All physical blessings are secondary, secondary to spiritual realities. Ephesians in the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 3, you can write it down, don't turn there. But this is what it says, blessed 
be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What he's saying there is because of what Christ has done for us, because of his sacrifice on the cross, we can become children of God. This is who we are. We, we receive unending spiritual blessings. It is the promise that no matter what you're going through on this earth, God's presence is going to be with you. And that is, that is very important for us to understand because, again, regardless of what you're going through in your life, your circumstances do not determine God's love for you. You know how God feels about you because he sent his son to die for you. Do you, do you understand that? Does that make sense what I'm saying? And, and, and then we see right here that in the very next scene, Joseph loses everything. He loses everything. And who is there? God. Uh, verse 21 is just an uh, underline that verse says that, that, that God was with him, his steadfast love. That is covenant love. And so in the latter part of verse 6, we're introduced to the tension of this text. And it says that Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. It's the exact same language used to describe Joseph's mother, Rachel. In other words, he was a good-looking dude. Right, I mean, Joseph, we know from chapter 37, verse 2, that Joseph was around 17 years old around this time. So he's, he's late teens. He's been doing hard labor for Potiphar. He's been, you know, lifting things. And so he's probably pretty ripped, if you know what I mean. Like, I don't mean, like, you know what I mean by ripped? He's chiseled, right? He, he's got some muscles. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, I was reading that uh, he's the first Hebrew boy to be found or to be featured on the cover of GQ Egypt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't read that. Just so you know. Don't want anybody walking out here saying, man, he was on GQ Egypt. Uh, maybe he was. I don't know. But you get the idea, right? He, he, was, he was a good-looking dude. Potiphar's wife has been checking him out. And she can't control her lust anymore. And she literally says, this is what she says, have sex with me. And this isn't a one-time temptation for Joseph, but according to the text, this went on day after day. And, and I just want to throw this out there. Again, I, I don't know this for certainty, so I didn't read this anywhere. But I just, as I read through a text, I kind of think, okay, this is... Potiphar's wife, he is a high-ranking high official. I'm pretty confident that his wife was probably an attractive woman. And you have her day after day making these proposals, these advancements, whatever she's trying to do to Joseph, and his response to her each time is to refuse. And, and, and then when he says these these words, it has to be a breath of fresh air. Like, if you've been with us throughout this whole series, we have seen time after time sexual immorality after sexual immorality. God's, I mean, patriarchs, right? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all these guys who have just made poor choices. And it's just been one debacle after another. And yet here is Joseph. Like, this is a bright spot in the book of Genesis, 
that he says, I can't do this to my master. I can't treat him like this. He has been kind to me after all that he has done. But, but ultimately, the, the, the best response, the second one is greater than the first. He says, more importantly, how can I do this great wickedness? And he says, and sin against God. This is so important because while our sin can and does affect uh, other people, ultimately our sin is against God. We have rebelled against the creator of the universe. That, that's what we've done. That's what we've done. We have rebelled against the king of the universe. You see, jo- Joseph knew God. He had a relationship with God. He knew his presence was with him. He knew that God is a holy, righteous God. He knew that God could see everything that Joseph did. And because God was with him, because he knew that God's presence was with him, because he knew that God sees everything, and because he knew Yahweh, he said, I can't do this. He he was able to resist temptation. Listen, this is not Joseph willing himself to resist temptation, right? We say, I can can do this, right? Muster up enough strength. Uh, Sure. But, 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 But ultimately, he's thinking about, God, he's thinking about, man, I cannot do this. I, I serve a holy, good God who is with me, who sees everything, and that is what deters him from this sin. And I believe that this can help us how about how we can wage war against sin in our own lives. James in the New Testament tells us that temptation begins when we are drawn in our heart out of a desire to do something that is a sin. As you are battling sin in your heart, as you begin to have the desire that comes from within you, you begin to think to yourself, well, you know, I, I really think that I need this in order to fulfill this need, whatever that need may be. You think, man, I really have to have this in order to, you know, you're seeking your self-worth, self-value, whatever it is. And so you then begin to act out on that sin. And one way to fight against that sin is to do what Joseph did, is to think about who God is and what he has done for us. To think, to, to, to know that God is with us, that he is in us, that Christ is in us. We have the power of Christ in us. Right? We, we, we live our lives out of this new identity of who we are. We draw our strength from, from the power that is within us. Like, like you, your identity is changed. You're no longer living in the old way that you live, but now you are in Christ. And so when you are faced with that temptation and, and you're, these things in your heart begin to draw you to that, and you begin to think, man, I really need that in order to fulfill this need in my life, you can then put on the brakes and say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 my identity is in Christ. Christ lives in me. I have everything that I need in Christ. How often do we tell you here that you got to preach the gospel to yourself every single day? You got to wake up and you got to look in the mirror and you got to say, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. This is my identity. This is who I am. And it's not going to be easy. <laughs> right? It's not going to be a cakewalk, but that, that's, that's how we can wage war against the sin in our life. God is with Joseph. He knew this. And, and so one day, man, 
Potiphar's wife, she reaches out, she grabs Joseph by the shirt. He runs, leaves the shirt behind. She didn't get what she wanted, and so she turns the tables on Joseph, and she lies. And now Joseph is being blamed for a crime he didn't commit. As a matter of fact, when you read the text, Joseph has done everything right. He's done everything right. What we see here is Joseph is being unjustly accused. And so now he finds himself in prison. But again, who's with him? The Lord is with him. Verse 21, again, that steadfast love, that covenant love. It says he gave him favor. The Lord gave Joseph favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so the chapter, check this out, the chapter ends the same way it began. It ends the same way it began, that God is with Joseph and he gave him favor so that the prison guard put Joseph in charge of all the prison and all the prisoners who were in the prison. The guard, guard paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with Joseph. And again, we didn't read it, but as we move into chapter 40, we are introduced to Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, which is the person who would test the wine for Pharaoh or provide the wine for Pharaoh. Like, how awesome would that job be, right? Like, I am the chief cupbearer, you know? And we're introduced to the chief baker, and they, at some point, they must have done something to upset Pharaoh, so Pharaoh throws them in prison, the same prison that Joseph is in. And we just continue to see how God is sovereignly working. He's in control. You see this happening. And, and so one night, man, they, they both had dreams. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker, they have these dreams. And uh, they wake up, and, and Joseph notices that something's different. They, they, they seem disturbed. They seem uh, like they're worried or concerned. And, and I love This is great. This is absolutely fascinating because Joseph, verse 7, asks, he says, Why are you so downcast? Like, Joseph shows concern and compassion for these two guys who were working for Pharaoh. Joseph could have easily been like, dudes, y'all need to suck it up, man. Y'all don't even know what it's like to suffer. I've been in this prison. I was unjustly accused. I was beaten by my brothers. I was thrown in a pit. I was sold into slavery. I've been in here way longer than you guys have, and you guys are upset about a couple of dreams you had? Come on, man. That's what I probably would have said to be honest with you. But Joseph is like, nah, man, he has compassion for you. He's, he's willing to serve regardless of the situation because he knows that God's presence is with him. He knows this. And so Joseph is able to interpret the dreams because God gives Joseph the interpretation. And the chief cupbearer gets a favorable response. He says, hey, look, man, your position is going to be restored and it is going to go well with you for Pharaoh. And so the chief baker hears this, and he's like, hey, man, maybe I'll get the same response. And so he tells Joseph the dream, and it doesn't go so well for the chief baker. He says, hey, man, you're going to actually lose your head. Like, literally, his head's going to be cut off. Read, read chapter 40. 40. It's, it's, it's legit. It's real. Um, but I want to point you to verse 14. Because you see Joseph pleading with the cupbearer. And you, you see the pain. I want you to hear the pain in Joseph's voice as, as, you, as you see this. He says, he says, only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh 
And so get me out of this house. You feel the pain that Joseph, he's like, I've been in here, man. Unjustly accused. Please, please remember me. I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. But notice verse 23, it says, Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Once again, Joseph acts righteously, and the cupbearer forgets. And the text tells us that he spends two more years in prison. Two more years. Chapter 41, as we're going to look at next week, tells us that Joseph is 30 years old. 30 years old before he gets out. Remember, we, he was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. That's 13 years that Joseph has been in exile, that he has had to endure these things. And what we see right here in this text in Joseph's life is that he is that he's a righteous sufferer. He's a suffering servant. He's done nothing wrong. He's hated and despised by his own brothers. They sell him into slavery. He is accused of a crime he did not commit. He shows concern for the chief cupbearer, and yet the cupbearer forgets all about Joseph. And yet, and yet, we see that God is all over this. His hand is all in it. Because, you see, God is using Joseph's suffering and the things that he's going through to send him into a place where he is going to be able to save God's people. He's going to be able to preserve the line. He's going to be able to preserve the line. And Joseph's life is clearly, I mean, it is clearly pointing us ahead to a greater righteous sufferer, to a greater suffering servant who will not just save a nation from death, but who is going to save the whole world from sin and death and hell. You see, Jesus is the greater righteous sufferer. Jesus is the greatest suffering servant. Isaiah 53, it's going to be on the screen. You can follow along on the screen. This is talking about Jesus. Isaiah is an Old Testament prophet. This is what he says. He says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we would, should look, up, look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. In other words, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus so that through Jesus we might have peace. And with, and with this, we are, with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, Jesus left heaven. He left the throne of heaven to come to earth to put on flesh. Jesus lived as an exile here on earth. Jesus lived a perfect life, keeping the law of God 
perfectly in our place. Jesus experienced temptation. Day in and day out, Jesus was faced with temptation. And Jesus stood in that temptation and he obeyed perfectly. Jesus was unjustly accused. He was accused of a crime he did not commit. He was accused of blasphemy, of of claiming to be God, which he was God. He is perfectly good and perfectly righteous. And then Jesus, as Joe said so well in his communion meditation, Jesus willingly goes to the cross where your sin and my sin was placed on Jesus. Jesus is our perfect, righteous sufferer. He is our perfect suffering servant. That is the gospel. That is the good news. Amen? And so let me encourage you as we close here with a few things. These are fast. First, as followers of Jesus, if we understand the New Testament, if we understand that as followers of Jesus, we are in exile now. Like Scripture tells us that this is not our home. We are just passing through If we understand that, then we are going to live our lives with suffering. We're going to walk through hard times. We will experience difficulty in our relationships. We will go through daily inconveniences. But our hope is not in this life. right? Our hope is not in being able to attain a certain goal in this life. Our, our hope is not in being able to reach the pinnacle of our career and our job. Our hope is not in the things of this world, but our hope in life and death is in Jesus Christ. That's our hope. John 16, 33, you can write it down. Jesus says, in this world you will have health, wealth, and prosperity. Is that what it says? Right? And in this life, you will live your best life now. Listen, I'm not, I'm not being critical of the best life now. But listen, that, that's not what following Jesus is about. It's not about your best life. It's not about the physical. Listen, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with physical. Again, we, we've, we've had this conversation already in this sermon. There's nothing wrong. God, God definitely will and can bless you physically with material things that, that, that he can do that but even if he doesn't even if you lose every one of those things God still loves you he is still with you that's not about living your best life now it's, it's, not, it's not what it's about Jesus says in this world you will have trouble but take heart he says find encouragement your hope is not in this world your hope is in Christ secondly we often experience hard times, and again, this is a, just a common question. We ask, where is God in all this? And as you see, man, God was right there with Joseph. His presence was there. And one of the promises of the new covenant that we have in Christ is that he's not going to leave us or forsake us. I know there may be times in your life where you feel like God is not there, and it is okay to be like, God, where are you in this situation? But, man, we just got to trust and rest in the sovereignty of God that he's in control. We've we got to find comfort in that, man, that, that God is in control. Joseph didn't know the whole picture. He didn't know why he was going through all this. See, God was moving and working in his life to send him to a place where he needed to be so he could save his people. I, I don't know what it is that you're going through. 
But God, God is with you. His presence is with you. Even when you don't feel like it, He is there. And I know it's tough. I'm not saying this is easy. Third, be patient. Now, this is hard too. It's easy to say, right? Be patient. Listen, 13 years, 13 years for Joseph. Not 13 days, not 13 weeks, not 13 months, 13 years. God does not promise to deliver us from our circumstances on this side of heaven. And that's hard. That's hard. I'm not saying this is easy. But again, we be patient. We rest in God's and comfort knowing that God is in control. Finally, if our hope is not in Jesus, if you're here this morning and your hope is not in Jesus, if your hope is in this world, I want to encourage you to put your hope in Christ, in Christ alone. Trust Him for salvation. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and what He did for you on the cross today. What we're going to do is a little different from normal, but I feel like it's appropriate. We are going to close out our time in prayer, and then we're going to sing the chorus of in, of in Christ, no, no, Christ, Living Hope, the last song we just sang. Prayer team members, if you're on a prayer team, if you're a prayer team and you're wearing a lanyard, will you raise your hand for me? Will you stand up for me? And go to a set corner or whatever, or just what, whatever, just, yeah. You can stay where you're at, whatever you want to do. But this is what I want to encourage you to do, okay, congregation? I know this is a little, we don't do this every Sunday, so if you're visiting with us, don't, don't get scared. I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud. This is not what this is about. That's why I have the prayer team members here. They're going to pray for you. But I, I just want you to gather around the prayer team members, and I want them to pray for you. They don't know your specific need. They don't know your specific circumstances. But God knows. He knows that you need this. He knows that you need somebody to pray over you and pray with you. And as we close out our service today, if you want to share more, if you need more prayer, they would love to pray with you. I'll be up here. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and put your faith and trust in Him. So if you would, go ahead and move to one of the prayer team members. Okay? I know it's uncomfortable. Is it uncomfortable? It's all right. We can do it. 